and welcome to the Trash Tapes podcast as part of the Enigmatic Productions Network. If you love bad cinema and incredible deep dives into cult film, then you have come to the right place. So if you like what you hear and want to support us, you can do so by donating some funds to our Buy Me A Coffee website, along with the ACAR supporter feature. All of these can be found in the description below. And now, on with the show. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You are about to experience trash. everyone and welcome to another episode of the trash tapes where one man's trash is another man's treasure i'm your host johan Chapal, your host and the inflictor of pain and i am joined by my usual victim and dj edward harvey how are you doing uh well i'm a bit poorly but i'm, I'm getting through it i'm all right how are you doing i'm doing all right i'm doing okay um you know i've had i've had some time to myself and to zone in and to make myself feel better and then we, and then, and then, and then I decided to watch this movie, and now I feel like I'm completely in a flux again. So, <laughs> yeah, I don't know whether if whether, when I'm suffering from an infection and feeling nauseous, I don't know whether this is the right movie for that. But <laughs> no, I don't think the movie we decided to watch that is is, is perfect for anyone who feels and remotely ill or trying to find themselves. But um, yeah. Um, the reason why we decided to do this one uh, before we go into it quickly is because obviously we did a video a little while ago looking at the original uh, original movie and the latest version of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And I think that was a really good conversation. I think we really discussed how well and how good both movies are in their own way. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's it's weird how the sequels have kind of just taken on their own kind of thing. Like even like two is made by the same director yeah, but it's just like it is crazy how different they all are. But it's bonkers. there's often a reason behind it, though, isn't there? And that's what we're going to talk about today. So, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, we're going to talk about the Texas Chainsaw Massacre Two. Oh boy! Thirteen years ago, audiences across America were horrified by the savagery of a faceless killer. In the wake of this bizarre rampage, he vanished. Now, after more than a decade of silence, he has come out of hiding. (laughs) 
Chainsaw Massacre 2, The Buzz is Back, directed by Toby Hooper. It's so weird, this movie, because yeah. I only saw it for the first time, like, recently to what to do this podcast. Yes. And uh, I... I uh, when I first heard about this movie, I thought it was by some random director. I didn't. I didn't think it was by Toby Hooper. Yeah. Uh, but Toby Hooper's reasoning behind like doing a completely different tone was just the fact that he he want he wanted to sort of shock, like like the original shocked, and it was outrageous in a yes. different whole sort of serious way, mm-hmm. and he wanted to get that sort of vibe in terms of outrageous, but just switch it and just. Dis- do something else with it and be outrageous in a completely different way. And he, I think he achieved that at least. <laughs> yeah, this it's interesting. The story behind this movie is very fascinating because like you mentioned, he wanted to do something completely different. In fact, he always argued actually in interviews that the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre, to him anyway, was kind of a black comedy. But I feel like if there was any humor other than a few jokes here and there, that was completely missed by most people well that, yeah no i think he, he I, I suppose he was trying to put some like uh satire of the time but that's about it i mean it's only funny in his own head <laughs> God. i can i can imagine toby hooper being his own best favorite fan like he said oh this is gonna be so funny and everyone no one gets the joke <laughs> No one yeah. gets the joke. Uh, but speaking of which, the, just so people are not clarified, but a Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2, or sometimes called Part 2, is is literally is a 1986 American black comedy slasher movie directed by the, our man Toby Hooper. And it's a, it's, it's a sequel delivering on the fact that it's been literally this, like I say, a decade of silence, the buzz is back. And it's... It's got a fascinating backstory behind it. And what's interesting is that you've done more, you've, you've probably done a little bit more research in this movie than I have because you've actually sat down and watched this the 90 minute documentary behind the making of this movie. Yeah, yeah. There's lots of like, uh, there's lots to say about it. The, the interesting thing you mentioned before we started about like the, the screenplay, the screenwriting process. Yeah. And that was incredible because it was, it was rewritten constantly. Mm. As they were shooting, yeah. uh, so but the usually the screen usually screenwriters would actually absolutely hate that process. Yeah. But the screenwriter was absolutely loving it, and he loved the fact that it was a a, a weird kind of energy. The fact they mm. had to do everything so quickly, and they shot the film like in like I think it was like six weeks or something it's ridiculous like that. And yeah, it just had to completely um, rewrite bits and. The screenwriter was saying uh, that you know how when you get uh, a, a, sc- a script that's rewritten like constantly, you mm. have to change the colour of the page to make sure that's a new bit of that's been added. Yeah. And the screenwriter was basically sca- saying that it ended up being like a rainbow that script because <laughs> pretty much it kept constantly changing on the fly. And there's a couple of reasons why. So you have to we have to go back a little bit earlier with this movie because this is a canon movie. So this is the second canon movie we've done on the podcast by the way second yeah i'm surprised it's only the second like we should we should be doing more of this nonsense but basically toby hooper had a free movie deal with canon okay yeah so the free movies he did were well be honest about uh, i think all of these would be on the podcast at some point he the first one he did was after after he did poltergeist which secretly has been known for quite some time that really he didn't totally direct it he was mostly shadow directing while steven spielberg as a producer was doing most of the directing that's mm. what i have heard about that but after that 
He ha- he signed a free he signed a free movie deal with Canon. One of them, the first one, was Life Force, which right. we are totally doing at some point because that movie is bonkers. Right? <laughs> is that the Energy Vampire one? Yes. Right. Yes. Energy Vampires with Patrick Stewart. Um, So that's what we're going to do at some point. The next one after that was a remake of a 1953 film called Invaders from Mars, right? Oh, yeah, I've seen that. I've seen, I think I've seen all of these canon movies. Uh, Yeah. That one is very bad. That is definitely (laughs) trash tapes worthy. They're both bad, to be honest, in their own way. But the point being is because they didn't do very well. Like, because these movies did not do well, um, obviously, the third movie, Canon kind of put a lot of pressure onto Toby. Say, look, your, the, your third movie has to be blockbuster, has to be gangbusters, right? Mm. And so they were really, Canon were really pushing Toby. And if you other say, your biggest movie was Texas Chainsaw Massacre. We need the sequel, right? So they say, okay, we're going to do a sequel. Now, what's interesting was that there was already an idea for a sequel back in 1980. Um, yeah which was going to be apparently with the original writer of Texas Chainsaw, the original movie was literally going to be where instead of just one house, it was going to be an entire town of cannibals. Right, okay. And the title, and it was going to be a similar-ish, it was going to be somewhat of a slight black comedy, but still have some levels of scares to it and everything. I believe it's literally going to be called Beyond the Valley of the Texas Chainsaw, right? Mm. Something weird and epic sounding like that. But that that was floating around and it never happened at all. And that's just kind of been left on the shelf because I think it was too demanding or too big. It's strange, isn't it, that uh, Toby Hoover was still well up for doing a sequel because it looks like one of those kind of movies where the original was such a classic. Yeah. I thought it would have been like a bit like John Carpenter and Halloween, that kind of thing, where it's like, no, I don't want to do a sequel. That that, that was its own isolated story. Yeah. Uh, but that was not the case with Toby. He was always wanting to do uh, a second Chainsaw movie. He was, always, he was always up for it. But <laughs> by the sound of things, he always wanted it to be different anyway. So the fact that when this happened and they were making the movie um, and it turned out to be the polar opposite, quite literally the polar opposite of what the original movie was, this doesn't surprise me. Funny because Canon are notorious for being, how can I put this? They're a bit sleazy and cheap, right? Mm. The producers are renowned for literally accepting anything under the sun as long as it is on trend, right? Yes. Or whatever. So they gave this version, they gave a version of the script uh, of this movie to the producers and Canon, and they accepted it. They accepted it full flank. With uh, with the producer only reading the first five pages, and just like perfect, great, and the right. first five pages is the least bonkers of the whole movie, other than yeah. the really cool opening scene. So I barely read that bit, going, "This is going to be brilliant. We'll accept this," without realizing that everything else happens. I know, and then when they actually started to see some like uh, footage back some like sort of dailies and some kind of rough cuts. Yeah. Apparently they were just saying, we need to see the monsters. We need to see the monsters. So a lot of the comedy aspect that Toby Hooper and the screenwriter had set up uh, that they loved, like having a very sort of just obvious comedy. Yeah. They had to scrap a lot of elements that, that made the story, you know, more connected to put more gore and like monster type stuff in there. Cause Canon wanted that. 
Which is why there's a huge whiplash between the funny stuff and the gory stuff in this yeah. movie. It's a lot of gore. So we made the cut. And then we had a screening, cast and crew screening. And the audience laughed throughout the film. And the screening was in the screening room at Cannon. And at the end of the screening, Toby comes to me and says, uh-oh. And we go into a meeting with uh, Cannon and they say, we want to see the monsters. We want to see the monsters. That's what the audience wants. We want to see the monsters. So take out all this stuff. And they were like stunned that the film was funny, which if you'd read the script, you would know that it was funny intentionally. Um, I don't know why they didn't get that, but that was the moment at which things changed. Because Canon saw the results of his last two movies. They saw us out there going like, we don't trust you. So $1 million of the project was removed before he even started filming. Yeah. So that's not good. And then because of that, they had to constantly keep rewriting because of situations that occurred throughout. So by the end of it, you've got a movie that is such a mishmash of stuff that by the end of it, it was launched out in this sort of weird, bizarre Frankenstein way. And then on top of that, the movie originally was two hours long with the script being two hours long. But Canon have a thing, if you remember our Cobra episode, they like their movies to be nothing more than 100 minutes long for the fact that it means you can play the movie more often in cinemas. Not, yeah. not, not whether or not whether it narratively needs to be... Uh, and uh, like 90 minutes or more, you know, it, it, no, it, it, it'll trim off the fact. No, we need to play this further. So there's about 25 pages of script that is permanently removed from this movie, which is all the funny stuff, I assume. And a lot of the character stuff that was supposed to be in this movie that just seems to be swept under the rug really quickly. True, but there is a lot of cool character stuff still there. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the movie's strength is some of the wacky characters, isn't it? Well, I'd say some, all of them. Like, the, 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 all the characters in it, pretty much, there's some standouts, but, like, there's some just, there's some really, and they definitely made the, the villains mm. almost like action figure type characters didn't they 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 totally. you could make a cartoon you could tone it down and you can make a cartoon out of those characters and like we'll... toxic crusaders like 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 because oh. this is a bit of a trauma kind of vibe this movie isn't it and totally. they did that with the uh toxic 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 avenger didn't they they did it with toxic crusaders you could do a similar thing with texas chainsaw massacre <laughs> No, because I'm now terrified. Imagine if you were a kid and suddenly saw a Leatherface action figure. <laughs> Kids would love that stuff, you know. You know they would. <laughs> it's like, put on the dress and the chainsaw. <laughs> Only $9.99. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, absolutely brilliant. In terms of the controversy and the reception of this movie, um, let's just say, first of all, like, one thing I love is, have you seen the original poster for Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2? 
Is the original poster the Breakfast Club parody? Yes, I'm going to show this to you now on the thing. Look at that. Yeah, they basically... the, the um, What's the screenwriter's name? I keep saying screenwriter without saying his name. His uh, name is L.M. Kit Carson. Right, so yeah, he, he was basically... When they were writing, well, they thought the, the original movie, uh, they were after hippies. They were killing hippies, right? Yes. So what, what was... What could they target in the 80s? Yuppies, of course. Yuppies and the and what's Club. The, yeah, what's the, the most, like, at that particular time, you had John Hughes making all the Brat Pack movies, didn't you? Yes. So it's an obvious, cool, like, parody to have their, them as the uh, Breakfast Club members on the posters. <laughs> but that I would go it, totally over Cannon's head, I think. I, that's the thing. It's like, the, it seems to be a lot of red flags, to the producers saying like this is a this is going to be a comedy or a satire or a parody this isn't going to be an actual texas chainsaw massacre 2 and it's just funny how it went over their heads until it got launched and oddly enough it seems like it got over a lot of heads of most people uh because the reception for this movie is mixed to media is 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 very mixed a lot of people basically said at the time that it was not good um for example if you look at uh, look at roger ebert he said that it was a one out of, it was a one out of four movie it's lamb it's lambasting the lambasted the film by saying it goes flat out from one end to the other never spending any time on pacing only t- uh, on timing on anticipation of horror it doesn't even pause to establish the characters themselves and dennis hopper has the most thankless task of playing a man who spends half the first half of the movie looking distracted and vague and the second half just screaming with dual chainsaws which personally that sounds amazing to me <laughs> well yeah I mean, th- that's de- that was deliberately dennis hopper's intention with that character to look confused and look sort of chaotic because he, he, he's a method actor yeah i, I heard i heard from the making of basically before they start said action uh, Toby Hooper would spin round on the spot to make himself dizzy so that when he's in the take, his eyes kind of looked a bit like all over the place and looked crazed. That's absolutely hilarious seeing Dennis Hopper running around, spinning in the spot, just going like, Wee! <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's his character in this. Uh, I've got a clip of him, actually. I've got a yes. clip of... I haven't got many, because the thing is, a lot of Dennis Hopper's things that we'll talk about are visual. Yes. But just to give you an element of like his character with his clip. Sure. Oh Lord, help me beat this stranger that walks beside me and takes away my strength. Lord, you show me the end. Show me what I fear, so I don't fear it no more. Such manic energy. <laughs> oh my god, that is. He's just going for it here as well. <laughs> so basically, what's happening there, if you haven't seen the film, is he, he has gone to like their hideout, basically, yeah. the killer's hideout. And this point, he's gone full like crazy. He's like, he's, if you can't beat him, join him kind of thing. Not in, mm. in a. In, in terms of like energy, because yeah. he's got he's he's wielded himself with like multiple chainsaws, yes, and he's basically wanting to destroy their 
layer basically <laughs> which we'll get to because the layers went is the layer is fucking magnificent so yeah he goes around just trying to destroy the foundation of this layer and just chop and what's funny is he does this and there's clearly debris and stuff falling on him he just keeps going he just keeps going with this wonderful manic energy which i personally feel is the central saving grace of this movie, um, whether or not he did say though, Dennis Hopper did say that this at the time this was the worst movie he ever he ever worked on. He absolutely yeah. hated this movie, but then afterwards, he, but then again, he said the exact same thing for um, for for the Mario movie. So, uh, which one's worse? I wonder. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's. I mean, this was like around the around the time of Blue Velvet, wasn't it? Yes. Uh, and Blue Velvet's a similar character. Well, not similar, but it's similar kind of craziness. Mm. And uh, it's there is actually even a similar line in this because mm. I, I feel like a lot of it, it might be kind of ad-libbed at times, yeah. uh, some of his crazy lines. Because in uh, Blue Velvet, he says to uh, Jeffrey, I'll send you straight to hell. And in this movie, he says, I'll send you back to hell. Almost exactly the same. He's like, it's the same line, pretty much. It's like, at this point, he, he turns into Frank Booth when he, when he goes angry in this film. <laughs> Don't be a good neighbor to her. I'll send you a love letter. Straight from my heart, fucker. Do you know what a love letter is? a bullet from a fucking gun, fucker. You receive a love letter from me, you're fucked forever. You understand, fuck? I'll send you straight to hell, fucker. Staying on the topic of Dennis Hopper's character, though. Yeah. Uh, was your... What did you think of the scene where he gets his chainsaws from the shop? All right. The bit in the chainsaws in the shop. Well, the thing is, I want to talk a little bit just before we get to that bit. Because before then, he seems very mellow, right? Like he's, he almost feels tired. Like he's, uh, the whole point of Lefty, Lefty as a character, is he is the uncle of Franklin and Sally, I believe, right? So he is, he's yeah. the uncle, right? And he's been going, uh, he's been spending the last, basically the last 10 to 13 years going on a mission to try and find the killer family, right? Lieutenant Enright, sir. We heard you might be headed this way. Uh, you come over for the big game? You know why I'm here. Yes, there's something about chainsaw killers, your brother's kids killed. But that was 14 years ago, sir, way down in South Texas. Now, these are other kids. This is just an accident. Just a couple of wild punks out raising hell. Yep. One of those boys so wild sawed his own head off going 90 mile per hour. <laughs> hell. Hell's exactly what they raised. And so he looks genuinely tired and numb and he doesn't respond much. There's no manic energy coming out of him, like at all for the first part of the movie, which is what, which is what arguably Roger Ebert properly described until the chainsaw bit where he goes in and he just looks at it go like, hmm, he gets the biggest chainsaw there is. See, he gets a log. 
Well, I see, I, I kind of read that as like it's all been bubbling under the mm. surface. Yeah. You know, like, I didn't, it didn't feel like a too much of a hard turn for me because I feel like he's got so much anger in him that he's not expressing. Yeah. That when it does come out, it just all comes out all in one go. And that's, that, definitely. that's kind of the arc of his character, I think. No, no, definitely. I'm not arguing that. I totally agree. Like, it's so subtle because you can see moments. He had lots of weird moments in his character until he gets a chainsaw in his hand and literally embraces the madness. And I have never... I love it because the uh, the shop owner of the chainsaw is just looking at, almost with glee, going like, oh my God, I've never seen someone this crazy before playing with a chainsaw. I know, that's the only bit of that scene that I thought was quite like weird in terms of like, I didn't get why it was happening because... I look in in the shop. He's he's going through all these, looking at all these different chainsaws. This is basically, by the way, it's a shop. It's pretty much just sells chainsaws. But all the walls are just cha- different types of chainsaws, and he's picking them up. Yeah. And he's like, he's got one in each, one small one in each his hand. And then he tries he drew, dual like chainsaws. He tries them like they're like sort of two handguns. Yeah. And then he picks up a massive one. And yeah, the the shop assistant is just staring at him in a very odd way but the Mm. scene so amazing is because dennis hopper doesn't say one word he just (laughs) screams he puts the money down doesn't even ask how much they all are he just puts a wad of cash on the table i'm having these and this is the money you're getting for (laughs) no arguments there like he literally said like look i'm here for a chainsaw um i think i think he was thinking poetic justice is like saying hey you know I heard about the chainsaw stuff. Let's do the chainsaw thing. And he overdoes it. I think he definitely overcompensates because he gets one giant F off chainsaw, which I yeah. mean, I didn't even know you can make them that big. And two very tiny ones, which are hilarious, which he used them like pistols almost. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I yeah, but the, um, yeah, the shop assistant is sort of so really confused and silent the whole time, just looking quite shocked. But as soon mm. as Dennis Hopper starts testing him out on the log outside mm. that like you said he goes like glee, almost gleeful which is very i found that very odd it's almost it's almost as if he was like gang off on it it's like oh i've never seen a man play with a log so hard in my life it's <laughs> <laughs> so bad but that's the reason why we talk about this that part now and then we'll talk a bit more about him as we go in but the reason why is because that's the that to me is the the striking image of this entire movie right the movie yes. the scene is just Dennis Hopper with three chainsaws screaming down a hallway right it is that's the image that's going to stick is going to stick in my head for the rest of time let alone anything else I'm going to have nightmares and see Dennis Hopper screaming with three goddamn chainsaws <laughs> The other characters, though, are quite interesting. And I think it's about time we talk about them. So one of the things I want to talk about first is there's one member that comes back from the original movie, which is Cook. Yeah. Cook yeah, comes and back. It, and that's the original actor, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. So he comes back originally. And I love his character because... He's still basically, by sound of things, he's still playing himself from the original movie. He's just a little bit more 
a little bit go- a little bit more fast witted than anything else. He says some very quirky lines, um, and the, f- the time you can tell that he's being he's being himself and a little bit more quirky is when we first in- reintroduced to him when it is the year is like the annual chili cook off. I have a clip of this because this listen to this right. It makes him sound like he's a rock star. It is absolutely brilliant. Yeah. He's Dallas's favorite caterer. I think he's kind of cute. Mm-hmm. The last roundup rolling grill chef, Drayton Sawyer! <laughs> yeah! Thank you, Cleveland! What a crowd. <laughs> This year, Drayton, you've got to tell the secret of that fabulously tasty chili. Go on. No secret. It's the meat. Don't skip on the meat. Don't skip on the meat. I, I got a real good eye for prime meat. Mm-hmm. Runs in the family. <laughs> <laughs> whoop, whoop. One of those uh, hard-shelled peppercorns. Uh-huh. <laughs> I gotta say, I love this town. This town loves prime meat. <laughs> Wonderful. And what's interesting is, is like, there's one, there's a weird theme with this movie, right? And we'll talk about it as we go through some of the other scenes, but with Cook in particular, uh, that scene is all about, there's a scene, that's a scene that seems to be, the whole movie feels like a satire of 80s consumerism and like, like, you know, just how much we absorb and eat and so on, right? And it's just, it's kind of interesting how all the movie's about that. And this is the scene where, I love this one shot, which I will remember vividly, is where the winner of the cup actually has a bowl of chili on it. And yeah. it's not perfectly poured. It's just sploshed on and it's covering the whole goddamn trophy. And then Cook comes on and you can just see like, this is the thing he's playing around with. It's jumping around. Ma- literal man meat is splashing all over the place and no one cares. It's <laughs> wonderful. It's... This uh, this is the thing I'm going to be maybe bringing back every so often. The movie is lit is a black comedy and it's a satire of of, of like over consumerism in the 80s. It's very 80s in that sense and very much about that. But I feel like the problem is the Texas Chainsaw Massacre being a satire feels very weird <laughs> at this point in time. So it feels very out of place. Yeah, I mean the thing is like Toby Hooper like we've said earlier he intended the original to be a satire as well so Mm. he was thinking let's do a satire again but make it about something that's more up to date so obviously the whole yuppie culture and a lot of the inspiration but for the characters and what he 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 wanted the killers to be going after is like the screenwriter was like in a mall one day and saw Mm. all these yuppies in like pastel clothes and stuff going around just buying everything and like and he thought well what can what can these guys uh these guys are definitely going to be the targets in my new movie yeah so it's definitely it's definitely there you know and and that's so there's like the satire is is changed slightly but it wasn't obvious in the first me that's the thing the satire wasn't Mm. obvious so it's not like people don't get it this time around that's the trouble 
yeah, I feel like maybe, or maybe it's the other way around. The idea, like the satire for the the the, the satire of the first Texas Chainsaw Massacre, is about how we have been numbed by violence because of Vietnam War and stuff yes. like that, right? Yeah. But the problem is, all you saw, even though you never got to see a lot of blood in the original movie is is just the violence and we were shocked by it. So instead of us being numb by it, we we're actually shocked by it, which was the opposite effect of what I assumed Toby Hooper was trying to do. Yeah, what I meant by the, the, the audience don't get it is they don't get the connection. They mm. don't get the connection of like how, how the both can be a satire, both movies. They just thought they the audience would have wanted a Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 at like the first they would want basically the first one again uh, but like you know slightly different that's, that's what um, but anyway yeah. um, but this one I think the problem with this movie is that the satire is so loud and in your face that it does lead to a very confusing whiplash because the satire the comedy satire is very much upfront unlike the other one where it was very sort of well hidden this one's very much loud and it does lead to some fantastic moments and speaking of yappies two things i want to mention first of all um the makeup work by this uh, is by the legend tom savini yeah the legend himself who has made some fantastic makeup stuff like for for various different movies and so on he is renowned for doing a lot of body horror and gore he's fantastic um so he did we'll talk about him but he also did he he was the one in charge of like all the like the grandpa makeup and stuff like this but there was a deleted scene which has really saddened me slightly there was a deleted scene one very lengthy scene where they were going to gather the meat for the chili Mm. okay where the whole family were in their truck and they drive into a car park full of full of like fraternity yuppies doing like a hazing. Yeah. And literally you got you got the whole family parked there in the parking lot waiting to go. And then and then Leatherface comes out and slaughters everyone. There's about 25 people horribly slaughtered in variously <laughs> wonderfully gory ways. But that was deleted for pacing purposes. Right. Okay, I'm surprised because uh, Canon really wanted all the monstrous stuff, didn't they? But- I know. I was so surprised that that scene got removed. But yeah. it got That's- totally removed. And it's it's probably the best place to see all of Tom Savini's work. Except, let's go back a bit. Can we talk about the opening scene? Uh, yeah, what, with the, with the yuppies in the car? Yes. Yes. <laughs> If actually, if you're going right back to the beginning, yeah. uh, I wanted to. Uh, there's something that's really interesting. You know how the we open the movie like with the the text crawl, yes, uh, like the original. Which I'll, I'll play a little bit of that. Uh, it, so it sounds like this. On the afternoon of August 18th, 1973, five young people in a Volkswagen van ran out of gas on a farm road in South Texas. Mm-hmm. Four so of them pre- seen pretty again. like sort of standard. But when yeah. I was watching it, I was thinking. This is definitely like missing something because of that tone of that, that 80s tone uh, of that voiceover. I was thinking it's definitely missing something and, I, and it clicked what it was. And listen to this. On the afternoon of August 18th, 1973, five young people in a Volkswagen van ran out of gas <laughs> on a farm road in South Texas. Four of them were never seen again. The next morning, the one oh God, yes. the right, was picked up on a roadside. <laughs> oh, it is the A team. Sally said she had broken out of a window in hell. Oh the Texas my God! Chainsaw I love this. Massacre has not stopped. It haunts Texas. It seems to have no end. 
like the tone of his voice and it reminded me so much of the opening of the A-Team. I thought, I just wonder if that'll work. And I'll put it, it together. It work. It works perfectly. This is a crossover I didn't think we ever needed. But we now need it now. Leatherface versus B.A. Baracus. But the, the, the characters in this movie are larger than life, like the A-Team, aren't they? That's the thing. Yeah, so basically, if the A-Team did turn up in this movie, it would just work. Yeah. It's fucking hilarious. It's ace. But anyway, can, yeah, then, yeah. It, then it moves on to the, the thing. The but two you, couple of crazy yuppies in a sports car. Which, is, which introduces to a way to the other the lead character in this movie technically which is stretch yes who stretch is a dj basically she is she's sort of a rock dj that plays from like eight o'clock eight o'clock at night till about two in the morning she plays all these rock hits and stuff like that as it goes along but she gets a couple of hot but she gets phone calls and she gets phone calls from these two terrible yuppies in the car who are just assholes like wow what dicks? On the open request line on K. Oakland in Burke Burnett, Texas, Red River Rock and Roll from the tip top of the Dallas Fort Worth Metroplex. X, let's get Stretch a call and see what she says. What kind of name is Stretch? <laughs> Red River Rock and Roll request line, this is Stretch. Go Stretch. I ranked the brick! <laughs> and from all the senior boys at Wheeler High to all the senior girls who are so stuck up, oh, you're on the road to nowhere. Oh, you mean we're on the road to nowhere? No, man! We're on the road to Texas all you week out of Dallas! <laughs> you're on the road to nowhere! <laughs> Put <horse>, baby! <laughs> Real funny, guys. Okay, you want to hang up now? Tying up the line. Hey, come on. No way, baby! <laughs> yeah, they, they're just like completely drunk while driving and just yeah. doing whatever the hell they feel like it, which is interesting because the victim, they're the only real sort of, they're the only fodder characters, aren't they, in the entire movie? Normally in these like horror movies, you get like a buildup of lots of kills with yeah. fodder characters. And there's only these two uh, that are the fodder characters, characters. and and. You normally would set up characters that the killers are killing. You'd set them up as victims and you feel sorry for them. But you really want these guys to be killed. <laughs> yeah, which is, again, the total polar opposite to the original Texas Chainsaw. Because the original Texas Chainsaw, yes, some of the characters were annoying. We'll admit that. But you never actually wanted them to die. And it kind of shows how maybe in the 80s, because of all the slasher stuff going on, the dynamic of horror movies changed from how it was in the early 70s, where in the early 70s, you wanted, you didn't want anyone to die because you you never felt like you never cheered for the bad guy in this mm. case we totally want leatherface to actually do one with them we want them to completely destroy them and it is honestly this this entire opening scene is so satisfying and honestly in the terms of its its construction it's probably the best constructed scene in the whole movie yeah yeah absolutely um, like, so they're having the conversation over the radio and they are being, you know, annoying stretch, like to all hell. And then suddenly a truck goes by them 
And it's like, oh, what the fuck is this weird, crazy fucking truck? By the way, before then, be, this is the most Texas thing I can think of. They are drunk in a Cadillac, driving at super fast speeds, shooting with a gun any roadside that's on the way. Yeah, they are completely nuts. It's like, it's definitely like a, 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 a comic character isn't it is they, yeah. this isn't like you can't there are, people aren't actually like this this is setting the and, tone early of what this movie is going to be like and you know what's interesting it passed this tone of <laughs> texas or at least dallas and wherever else they've been at being like just a bunch of crazies continue on a bit because in another scene later there's a whole bunch of drunks and all the drunks are just again they're over the top and ridiculous maybe kind of showing maybe there were more scenes of this are showing that texas is a hellhole so half of these people need to die anyway so i love the fact that those characters are background though they're so loud but they can't really be the background can they they kind of you just... can't ignore the fact that all these loud mouth crazy drunks and bad people in texas are just there it's like you can't avoid them it's almost i can imagine like if you were an introvert and you know you don't like you don't like people much and you saw this movie going fuck this this confirms it even more People suck. <laughs> oh, but yeah. But then obviously that with that truck scene comes in, uh, they come in in the truck and suddenly I love the pop-up because Leatherface strapped with a, with, with a dead body, by the way, which uh, do you actually ever find out what the dead body was? No, I'm not sure about that one. Oh, so dead, I got quite confused by it. I didn't know who okay, it was. So the dead body is the hitchhiker from the original movie. Ah, oh, right. That's kind of interesting because the hitchhiker is... Uh, the Chop Top is a similar character to the hitchhiker, isn't he, in terms of the... Do you actually want to... There's a backstory to this. Do you want me to continue with Chop Chop? Okay, so the backstory <laughs> is that Chop Top is hitchhiker's identical twin brother. Right, I was going to... Who yeah, wasn't was... in the original movie because he was in Nam. Right, okay. He yeah, comes cool. back... And traumatized that his brother's been horribly murdered, decides to keep him. Right. Okay. And so, so Leatherface and Chop Top just keep him around and strap him along in all his adventures as if he's still part of the family. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> yeah. So, like, they basically, uh, Leatherface pops out, doesn't he? Yeah. And he. He's just like, attacks him with the chainsaw. He saws the top of the like, the head off one of them. That uh, that awesome. is a great Tom Savini effect. Where basically he wanted it to be the real actor. He didn't want it like a dummy, a massive like obvious dummy head. Yeah. So he constructed like this almost like a balloon type of thing that mm. would when you fill the balloon it would like raise up and make like a prosthetic look like it's flipping up. So it looks yeah. like it's an actual, uh, it's actually attached to the actor and it looks dead convincing. So they only cut to like a dummy head for like the actual decapitation type element when it yeah. actually gets chopped off. It's honestly really exciting when that scene happened because it, it, it looked really good. And it's, again, it just shows that this movie, when it does its gore stuff, it does it really well. And it's it's one of the, it's again it's another scene that's going to stick to my it's going to literally stick in my head although you know it can yeah. easily be chopped off for that one but yeah it's 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 really really well done and basically him seeing Leatherface attacking these two yuppies and destroying the car and is just absolute gold but 
as a little bit of a thing here. I love the fact that that is because of some weird technical glitch. The rec- they couldn't hang up the phone, which means there was a recording of this horrible, gruesome murder live on the radio when was, this uh, happened. I, when I was watching that bit, that scene, when she was telling them to hang up, and they went, no, nah, we're not hanging up. I was, like, so confused of, like, the technical issue of why they couldn't cut them off. It was it, mm. it's only because the, po- the plot required them to be on the line. It was yeah. like, it's a really, really odd situation where you can't cut off. Because you'd have, you could have anyone, any psycho ringing up, ringing them to the radio station. And if you can't cut them off, then mm. that is a crazy technical problem. But they had Huge. To, yeah. But Huge that, problem. But, but that creates the rest, like the, the main plot thread for the rest of the movie. Because it almost becomes like a detective story in a way of like, yeah, it needing, needing to ex- needing to expose the uh, the family via using this recording as evidence. So here's a special request we're doing this afternoon and tonight. You steady listeners know we're playing this every hour. This is for Lefty. So it gets so yes. Yeah, so by that point, it's the whole story is that. Lefty goes to the goes to Stretch, which uh, and says like play this on the radio as a means of luring them out, basically, mm. and it leads to some very interesting bits in the radio station. By that point, we're introduced to Chop Top. At that point, oh yeah, that is that is what I think perhaps the creepiest scene, mm. uh, where Stretch has just finished a shift, yes, and uh, in in the shadows, just in the waiting room kind of area, mm-hmm. there's like Chop Tops just there, and uh, he. I've got the clip of him, actually. Sure. Uh, so let's hear this. Uh, 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 I want to I buy some uh, radio ad time. Oh, I love him. He's so creepy. Are you fucking crazy? We are closed. Off the air till tomorrow. You'll have to just come back. No, but, but yeah, but... Whoa. So this is Radio Land, huh? The infinite turtle, the, the waves through the ether fuzz roll on forever. Roar! <laughs> Can't close that. Hi, I know what you're thinking. This is weird, huh? But I can handle it. He's <laughs> so manic. You're my fave. <laughs> Me and Bubba, my little brother, we listen to you every night. Bubba. Music is my life. You know, you're my fave, but, but I get too embarrassed to phone in my request. It's too disembodied, you know? <laughs> but uh, uh, now that we're here in, in flesh and blood, I, I could maybe make a request and, and it'd still count, huh? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you gotta count. Uh, sure. Mm-hmm. Well, what about... Uh, Iron Butterfly! <laughs> you know, like, uh, uh, music uh, choice, you know, though. Gotta Baby? <laughs> it's heavy. You know, uh, I've never been to a radio station before. Do you think you could do me a tour, huh? I love the tour. Tour? <laughs> the tour is great. It's like, it's here, it's here, it's here. Sure. Mm-hmm, sure. But seriously quick. And it ends at the exit sign. It will end at the exit oh, sign. Oh, boy, okay, yeah, sure. <laughs> okay, your turn. 
tour. Here's your tour. Here's your tour. Here's, Here's a lamp. Tour. Damn. <laughs> Here's top water. Rubber man. Uh-huh. Rubber man. I love him. <laughs> Armadillo. Oh, my God. There's Mr. Shark. Oh, Mr. Shark. <laughs> oh, my God. There's some flowers. Rolodex. You're just riding them shit she can find. I love it. There's a lamp. Oh. And there's the exit sign. Tumor's over. Basically, it's... I love the nervous energy and the fact mm. that he... He's trying his best to be like charming, <laughs> but yeah. he's not charming. That's his, that's him being as charming as possible because he's acting like he's really interested in the stuff that she's saying, but he's he's like he doesn't know that how creepy he is because he can't even be like uh, nice when he's trying to be nice. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah, and even th- it, it, there's a there's a whole this is the this is the tone for the whole movie. I mm. feel like in terms of how conversations work, that's the tone. It's this weird, nervous, anxious energy that kind of goes back and forth. I love at the end of that clip uh, where basically it says, "Now you can leave." It's like, yeah, yeah, leave. Goodbye, goodbye, yeah. sir. Goodbye, goodbye, sir. And, it's- and there's lots of different variations of goodbye. Like there's even like a high one, like. Bye, good night. <laughs> and you're like, and, and that goes on for a little too long, admittedly. But then after that, it goes and Leatherface turns up, which was the the, the only part that gave me an actual jump scare. Because it's the bit where she, where where Leatherface is hiding in the record room. Yeah, it's a really good setup actually, because there's like she's in front. The, the scene is lit really dark and creepy. Yeah, and there's a scene where she's in front of the area where all the records are, and that. She's in the doorway and that's all sort mm. of uh, dark, but obviously the lights come on abruptly in the records mm. room and he just flies through the doorway at her. It's great. <laughs> it's a really, re- it's a genuinely, that made me jump. That honest to God made me jump. And it's a great little scene, um, which leads to Ben basically Leatherface chases around the studio. And it's a really good little moment. Like she hides in a room and then Le- Leatherface just b- breaks through a wall. But... Okay, let's talk about Leatherface in general in this movie. Okay. Um, <laughs> Leatherface is an interesting character because he's he's made to be like a, a very he's made to be the like most likable out of all of them. Yes. Uh, because there's an odd kind of love story that's set up between him and and Stretch. I mean, it's very clearly one-sided, but yes. It's um, there. But I say it's one-sided. There's an element of some of the dialogue where she says stuff like, uh, I don't think it's going to work between us. Uh, you, you wouldn't say that if there wasn't... You, you'd, just, you'd just be, like, totally crazed all the time. But she actually says lines like it's a proper relationship. And I think that's going back to the parody of uh, John Hughes movies, isn't it, kind of thing? Yes. It feels yeah. as if, like, this is the point where... Number one, this is the first movie ever where someone literally is able to talk down a serial killer, by the way, in any horror movies. Like, say, oi, stop. Let's talk about this. Um, But the movie, that scene in particular is, it feels like an ongoing joke because the whole point is they talk. She she, she has her legs wide open, by the way, like hidden, like between two things there. And... The chainsaw is going very uncomfortably up her leg, right? Yeah. But then what's funny is this clear, the joke here, and I got the joke. I'm going, 
okay, is there is some technically some sexual tension, at least one side of it, there's some sexual tension going on. And this is basically a premature ejaculation joke. Yeah. And she, she kind of, she says something like, how good are you? I know, how weird is that? And and that that kind of turns him on a bit, doesn't it? Like, yeah. And then at this point, he gets the chainsaw and he starts to rev it, but he can't get it to work. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's, it's a very, it, it, I mean, it's a Larry scene, but it also is very uncomfortable. And when they, when they were trying to, when they were being, uh, when the actors were doing that scene, they were like, they found it difficult to make it sexy because they, they were directed to make it sexy. How do you make and, that uh, scene and sexy? It, apparently it was, it was very challenging, but I think they did a good job with, in the end, because it is kind of, uh, I, mean, it's not, I don't find it sexy, but I kind of, in, in a jokey kind of way, yeah, I, I know what they were what they were trying to do, and that, I think the actors did a good job in the end. Uh, they did try, god damn yeah. it, they did try, but it basically it was all just a big, yeah, because that that scene is both funny and awkward, especially at the end when Leatherface is literally while he's finally got it revved, starts pelvic thrusting with the chainsaw in her direction, and then runs away. <laughs> I know. Also, by the way, I wanted to mention, you know, in that in that that set, I mean, we'll talk about the sets in general because the sets are amazing. Mm. But like the there's a very distracting neon clock behind her in that scene. Yes, <laughs> and it's like I think I mean in in that that's just a product of the time having that kind of like everything neon, like you've got to have yes. neon elements all over the place. But uh, the production designer literally they they had to get odds and ends from everywhere so mm. that's probably just one of those things where oh that that looks quite good let's throw that in there but mm-hmm. it's it's i find it that's the only bit of production design where i find it too distracting that neon yeah. clock is like right i'm just focused on it like a lot even in a scene where you've got a chainsaw going between someone's legs i'm thinking there's a bright neon clock there like <laughs> 
real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. We're finally at, after a little while and some chasing about and everything else, we're at the theme park. I know. Uh, this, uh, the settings in this movie are really, really cool. Mm. And uh, I love the fact that I, ca- I just can't imagine uh, doing all that work with those sets in like, what, six weeks or something, when, uh, the amount of time they shot it. They, it's it's insane. They, they had to be working ridiculous hours. Like, yeah. I can't believe they dressed all that, all those sets uh, and, and made... There's a, there's a, a huge tunnel scene that's mm. like that's got stuff wall to wall, like for like you know, like quarter of a mile it seems, and like this it's lit all the way down with like sort of weird kind of Christmas lights and stuff, and it's this does make some really interesting stuff. It's awesome. The, the, once we get to the theme park in particular, it's by far the most awesome set. It is the biggest fun house. It's literally a fun house. And again, if we wanted to see what Toby Hooper was maybe trying to say about horror movies here, it's like, again, it's changed. It's no longer about saying, oh, look how scary this is. Like People are rooting for the bad guy. People are having fun in horror movies. Let's literally make this a fun house. And they bloody do. There's a scene which makes me laugh all the time where... Um, Dennis Hopper comes in later when Stretch goes and chases after them, right? And they meet in the funhouse. And then at one point, it's like, you're here. And she literally just falls through a trap door and goes down a, it goes down a spiral slide. Like, yeah, the spiral on. slide. There's like loads of like big chutes and stuff that people go down, like big circular tunnels and stuff like that. Yeah. It's, it's incredible to look at, really. Uh, it's, it's strange because the with the, the budget they had... God knows mm. how they made it look that good. It is the, the the sets in this, the theme park set is the it's golden goose for me. I really flopping loved it. Stretch does get captured at this point. Although they they have a weird interaction beforehand where um <laughs> Um, Leatherface sees her in the thing and instead and to so to hide her and has a weird scene they bloody put oh my god it's disgusting to talk about and I feel I feel really bad for Caroline Williams, who plays Stretch, who has to put on a another person's face. Yeah. On and do a and dance with Leatherface while tied up with ropes and chains. Yeah. It's really uncomfortable. Uh, <laughs> I haven't mentioned him by the way yet the the character's face 
that character was basically the companion and boss. Or yeah, is it the boss of radio Stretch producer. or radio, yeah, producer, radio producer? Yeah, he's like um, he, he's he's a he's a bit of a sort of John Wayne type character, and he's mm. sort of like the, Stretch is like the apple of his eye kind of thing. He really sort of uh, loves her. So there's like there's lots of uh, sweet s- scenes between those two, isn't there? Building up to to this point, which it actually makes it quite a, a tragic scene where you see him skinned, uh, at like not just his face, but he had half, half his body is like off is come off. I don't know how he's still alive, but how is he functioning? <laughs> yeah. How is he still functioning after that? But yeah, he's she's got stretch. has got his his face. Uh, mm. Well, uh, Lethe puts his face uh, onto her, yeah, and he's basically just playing with her like she's a doll. Yeah, and it starts dancing around and so on. It's really awkward. It's really uncomfortable. And then afterwards, obviously, as he leaves, you know, they have the interaction with the producer. The producer's still running around, and then finally dies. And while I love when he dies, he just goes, "Ah, shit." Yeah, <laughs> and just and dies. Another thing with him, though, is what before we move on is like. He spits a lot, which makes yeah. which is which is so gross. And he's supposed to be a really likable character, but the spitting thing is supposed to be an endearing element of his character. He spits and I a found lot, it though. gross, and it really put me off him because I wanted yeah. to like him. But like, I mean, look, look, I, I can get <laughs> spitting, but I imagine if he did it once, we're like, oh, okay. He does it every five minutes. Like, <laughs> it's like, he's like, I'm not sure whether he's just constantly like chewing tobacco or he's just doing, he's constantly puts lurgies as well. There's a scene where she, where he actually gets hammered constantly in the head by Chop Top and literally one, one hit from the hammer puts a giant lurgy, just a giant spit comes out like a fountain. Jesus Christ. I know. It's, he almost uses spitting as like punctuation, doesn't he? To make his point. <laughs> Which is oh, like... would be hilarious if there was genuine punctuation. Quite oh my gross, God. really. It's really gross. Can we go to the ending? Where we talk about by this point where Stretch is captured yeah. and they literally do a pseudo remake of the famous dinner scene. Yeah, it's, it's a recreation. Because... It's a recreation of the dinner scene in the original. Well, it's a similar kind of setup, isn't it? She's mm. uh, stretches at the head yeah. of the table like Sally was in the original movie. And they basically, uh, the cook wants to finish her off in the similar way that Sally was tr- tr- attempted to, they attempted to finish her off by getting grandpa yeah. involved. Hooray! Oh, grandpa's back. And it's really bizarre with Grandpa, by the way, because Grandpa's just, oh, he's, how is he still functioning after all this time? Other than just apparently using the powerful elixir of blood, that's all that's keeping him going. I think the cook even says he's age in this one. I think he says 146 years old or something. Motherfucker, he's 146 years old. Jesus. But yeah, he does that. <laughs> he does a full reenactment of that. And it's, Pretty, it's pretty much shot for shot at this point, actually. Yeah, That's, he's, almost he's, shot for shot. he's got the, the the hammer and he's he's trying to hit her over the head and he keeps missing. I I don't know about you with with Grandpa in this movie. I thought because this movie is an obvious comedy, mm. I wanted them to really elevate Grandpa in a in a way because the mm. family always bigs him up like he's this super killer, that super like sort of butcher. Yeah. And I wanted this movie to be fantasy in that respect and have him 
actually be quite powerful. I think that would have yeah. been hilarious if he, if, say, for example, he Dennis Hopper comes in to try and save the day, and Grandpa throws a hammer all the way across the uh, the the room and hits him, and it's like a super throw kind of thing. Or maybe the idea that he was faking the whole time. He stands up and does kung fu, and you know, like you know what. Perfect. This movie's oh, dumb enough as it is. I think it was missing that sort of elevated grandpa. I think it needed to be, <laughs> it needed to like lift grandpa up a bit because the actor does a good job of kind of like bringing him to life a little bit and making him more animated than the grandpa in the original movie. Yeah. Uh, but there isn't much for him to do, is there? Nah, there isn't much happening there. He's just there just because he's part of the family, basically. Yeah. It's, it's not... It's, he's part of the mythos. He's part of the thing. He's just there. There's no real reason why he's still hanging about. But what's interesting, actually, is that right after that, though, like he's doing the thing, just get a couple of noggins in the back of the head. Then Dennis Hopper comes in. And oh, boy. Wow. He comes in, <laughs> chainsaw blue in, saying he is the lord of the fucking harvest. I'm the lord of the harvest. Who's that? Some new health food bunch. Can I just say, like, realistically, Leatherface, they have they actually have a duel. Leatherface has a duel with Dennis Hopper. And there's no way he could survive any of this, right? Like, if I'm surprised the sequels happened after this, basically, because oh my goodness. Yeah, they're, so they're sword fighting with chainsaws. Yes. And so and uh Dennis Hopper gets the his large chainsaw yes. and just sticks it through him in the r- remainder of the fight uh leatherface has got a chainsaw through his stomach yeah. it's a very cool practical effect actually because they rigged up a chainsaw that will show that it's moving either side of the prosthetic yeah. so it looks like it's constantly like uh, uh, you know going round the chain yeah uh, so it, it looks really really cool but like i don't know <laughs> How he goes on for ages in this fight, like trying to fight Dennis Hopper with a chainsaw through him. It's, mm. it's incredible. It's hardcore. And it's just, it's the most, it's the most manic scene in the whole movie. When you think about it, it's Dennis Hopper shouting and raving, being the Lord of the harvest, beating Leatherface who gets stabbed by a big one. And then they're fighting dual wielding fucking chainsaws. It's manic. I want to do a mention also, uh, Cook's demise is pretty funny because he gets, he basically gets a chainsaw up the arse, basically. Yes. Uh, not so, not really sort of viciously. He, he just, the, the chainsaw he goes like, of, he, gets he gets it, a scratch. He, he gets it like that. And and basically, for, after that point where all the chaotic stuff is going on, Cook is like under the table. And uh, yeah. he's, <laughs> I've got a clip of him in that point. It's but so funny. Oh, businessman. Always, always, always gets it in the ass. Always <laughs> gets it in the ass. Uh, sure. Sure took care of my hams. Made <laughs> a trip to the hospital. Ah, <laughs> uh, looks... Looks bad. Sure burned my beans bad on that one. <laughs> oh my God! I absolutely love this. Sure, burn my beans bad on that one. It's fucking hilarious. Oh my god. <laughs> I, I think I'm gonna say that now. That's Save gonna be it. one of my sayings. <laughs> Save that. 
play that whatever you just feel like you know he's, he's gonna put your beans on that one. Oh my god <laughs> i think whenever we have a laughing fit where we really sort of overdone it with laughing we, we burned our beans on that one <laughs> we definitely burned our beans on that one. Oh my god but what's funny in that scene afterwards um he finds that i need to find the one thing that can stop this well he takes out a goddamn fucking grenade and just ready he's ready to blow up the base basically with his grenade yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and the explosion's glorious <laughs> it is yeah he's he's a crazy character the cook he's constantly talking all the time it's yeah. like it almost feels like it's like noise at some point. You don't even like listen to him all the time because he's always nattering on. Yeah, and a lot of it does sound like nonsense. Like it just sounds like nothing until he finally says something of note. Like that scene we just we just played. You know, he does. He didn't need to say all of that, but he did say all of that. He could have just said, "Ow, my butt hurts." Oh, oh, oh. Instead, he went on and on. <laughs> And he's also actually still going on the on the cook. There's a really iconic line actually that he says when he, we know we've gone on about the whole like weird love story element between yes. uh, Bubba or AK Leatherface. Yes. Uh, it, it, and he basically he finds out that Stretch wasn't killed by Leatherface. Yes. Uh, and there's like he's he's basically wanting to to know what's going on. And there's this interesting, like, sort of conversation where he says, what's it going to be? Is sex or the saw kind of thing? And it's a very, really cool line. Let's listen to that. Go you on. got one choice, boy. Sex or the saw. Yeah. Sex is, well, nobody knows. But the saw, the saw is family. <laughs> it's family. Wait till granddad hears about this. <laughs> Take her away. Oh, that's She's actually in the a good scene. Now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I love that line. And it's it's quite iconic to have the Saw's family in this movie. Because it's like I can see why this became a cult film. Because mm. in this movie, it's more quotable than the original, isn't it? Because it's, it's got some corker of lines and the thing is with the original is the original one just self the dialogue wasn't important it was the action that was more important you know what i mean yeah while here because most of it's a parody and satire and more jokey the lines are more important and really stands out there's also a, actually a line that was sampled in a primus song do you know that really? one and uh, that's become now a famous line that chop top says dog wheel hunt Get that bitch! Leatherface, get that bitch! <laughs> Dog will hunt. Yeah, that's uh, sampled in the Primus song, Jerry was a race car driver. Remember that song? Oh, really? Oh, yeah, wow. it's, in that, it's in that song. So uh, it's, I, now that is... I, I heard that, and I then could place it because I didn't know what it was from when I heard that mm, song. Yeah. But now, but at conventions, people always ask uh, Bill Mosley, who played Chop Top, to say... Dog will hunt. <laughs> love it. I love it. Dog will hunt. Let's wrap up to the very, very end because the very, yeah. very end is basically the base is blown up and Chop Top goes up to Go Chop and's chasing Stretch up to the bit. And this is also another scene that I'm going to remember for the rest of my visual life because it's manically nonsense. They they run up to this big tower thing, like a giant mud hut. I don't know what it's it is. It's amazing. <laughs> 
It's so bizarre. I don't know what it is, but it's awesome. Well, is it like a there? theme park? It's Ellen the theme park, isn't it? So it's kind of yeah. like a big sort of watchtower type. I think so. And you go up to yeah. the watchtower, and then the first thing you see is Grandma. Yeah. And the thing is, she is, is she still alive? Is she preserved somehow? Or is it... I, or are they just thinking that she's still with them? I personally think she's dead and that they just somehow preserved her after a while, I think. Because there's no movement from her at all. Well, so- I, the odd thing about that scene is like, I was watching, I was thinking, did she just move then? Did she move? I was thinking a lot of the time, is you know, because it looks like she's moving at times. Like when Chop Top is like, but I'm thinking, is, is he moving her like a puppet kind of thing? We'll never know. <laughs> The big mystery. But then after this, obviously, there's a confrontation with Chop Top and Stretch. Stretch gets the chainsaw that Grandma is holding and literally knocks uh, knocks Chop Top off the, off the tower into literally the garbage, like down a chute, right? Yeah. But the final image, oh my God, it's wonderfully weird, where she is screaming manically, dancing with a chainsaw and the camera moves away to see her in this tiny form going flipping mental in this tower and then it just cuts yeah it's it's basically ends like how leatherface was dancing in the original with his chainsaw yes uh but it's so odd when it's like like one of the hero characters doing Mm. it (laughs) It's, it's so weird. I love it, but it's fucking weird. Um, oh, right, you say it. You say there's a hard cut, and then this comes on at the, on the credit music. Yeah. <laughs> it's such a hard fucking cut. Hard cut to this. <laughs> it's just so nice. This music. It's pure whiplash. Oh my god. Can I also say, by the way, speaking of how the music is on, a lot of the music, can I say some of the music is really kind of on the nose? Like, some of the tracks are very much on the goddamn nose. Yeah, deliberately, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, there's some, I mean, there's one of the songs they play on the radio is literally say, oh my God, there's trouble ahead. And it's like, excuse <laughs> duh, you know? Yeah. Oh, it's good times. And that's how the movie ends. And it, oh, what a movie this is. Um, I've watched this twice. Uh, I watched this twice in a row, and then I, I watched it years ago. But then I watched it twice, because the first time I watched it, I almost forgot everything existed, and I kind of felt like I needed to wash over me. And so now mm. I watched it again, and I just kind of had this weird appreciation for it. And so I, I, I want to know, if, before we go into the trash armor, I want to think, like, this is your first time watching it. Yeah. How did it feel in your first time watching this? Um, I, I didn't know, I didn't think that I liked it at first. Um, mm. and the mate, but when I really thought back and I thought, oh, actually, I like that bit. And I like that bit when I was sort of breaking it down in my head. And the th- I think the main th- reason why I didn't like it, I know it sounds silly, sure. but you know how much I like, um, music in, in film, like in terms of score, the yeah. score is absolutely awful in this movie, oh, it's pants. and it cheapens the film so much because a lot of the like the vis- visually the film looks expensive. They've done a really mm. good job with production design and costume and sets, and the actors are good. 
the music makes it makes the whole thing seem like a very cheap movie, and that really puts me off. That that's the main thing, and it sounds silly. Just the music can't put you off the entire film, but it, it it's important to have the the music right in, a, especially a Texas Chainsaw Massacre movie. I will say this as well: like when that music being a bit cheaply, it also showed off some of the other cheaper elements in the film. Yes, like it st- showed it off a bit. When there's some really great moments in the movie, and then there's some moments where you're sitting there going, huh, that does look a bit cheap. Uh, that does look a little rough. Mm, that doesn't look entirely great. It reminded me of, you know, like full moon movies. Yeah. You know how their scores are always like sort of, it's synthesized kind of orchestra, isn't it? Which never sounds good. If you're going to use synth, actually have, make it sound like synth. Not, tra- not trying to be orchestra because it's... <laughs> Back then, you couldn't use a synth to make an orchestra. Like, yeah, it basically just sounds like some, someone someone's having way too much fun on a Casio keyboard, just having a bit of a wail. Right, so that was Texas Chainsaw Massacre Two. Shall we see where this falls on the trashometer? Okay. Thank you. And right, if this is your first time listening to us, welcome and thank you for joining us for this listening to our review of Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2. Oh boy. What we do though, we review things a little bit differently around here. We don't do A star ratings or number ratings or anything like that. We do something called the trashometer, where we kind of find the right balance of good and bad. A good bad movie needs to be equally balanced of the good and the bad and so we do that in a very in a using a very particular scale first of all we've got tame tame basically means that it wasn't really fun but in more the fact that it was kind of dull like it 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 didn't really do much for it it might not even be that bad it's just a bit boring right then you go to tiny bit trashy tiny bit trashy basically means is that we had fun with it but it kind of could have been more trashy it could have been dumber it could have been funner it could have had a bit more something to it but it's missing an element then you've got trash this is the perfect sweet spot the perfect balance the ultimate chainsaw battle as it were of all of all all these movies the perfect cut right it's the right balance of good and bad then you've got too trashy too trashy means even though we had fun with it we are getting a little frustrated with it it's getting a little bad it's getting a little offensive it's getting a little rough it's getting a little bit of a tough sit right but we still had fun with it and that's the most important thing and then finally at the very very top we have torture torture means it's all bad there is no good in this it was it was a horrible way to sit through it was literally torturous to get through and so ed what would you put text chainsaw massacre 2 on the trashometer Right. Uh, this is actually quite a hard one to rank. Mm. And usually I already think what I'm going to rank it before I even go into the trashometer. Mm. Um, I'm going to have to sort of decide now because it's like, it's 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 difficult to... It's not, it's not perfect. It's not a perfect no. trash movie. So I wouldn't, definitely won't put it under trash. Um, but it's, 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 you can't call it tame. I'm going to kind of try and rule this out, right? Rule out the process of uh, elimination. So it's not tame at all because it's got some crazy stuff going on. Mm. Uh, well, I guess I can rule it out because I I don't think it's tiny bit trashy either. So I Mm. guess it's just going into too trashy, uh, in my opinion, because it's not torture. Uh, I, I did find a lot of the, the movie was, was really good uh, obviously when I first watched it I said I was kind of unsure about it mm. but there's 
a very good balance of comedy and horror, but it's yeah. not quite perfect. So, yeah. it like like for example, you, when I talked about Grandpa, mm. if you got if you went full like crazy with Grandpa and get, meant went to full comedy, you would have been going like all the way. That would have been an element that would have worked for me in this movie, but they didn't do that. So, uh, it's it's just at times going too much on one thing and not enough on the other mm. um, so I don't know I, I think because it's too much in places that I don't like yeah, uh, it, I guess it would have to be too trashy you know what I would agree like there are some genuinely some great moments in this movie right there's some movie there's some scenes that are going to stick with my mind forever but the problem is is that there's two things fighting against it number one it has the original constantly comparing itself right Mm. and it's the problem is it references the original and also tries to part its way from the original and it doesn't know which one it wants to do it needs to stick with one or the other are you are you are you trying to mimic the original or are you going really beyond the original and it does that every so often the second part as well is that the bits that were really good were really good and the bits that were rough were pretty rough they were hard and it's not and i don't think like it doesn't hit the sweet spot of good bad it the the parts which are rough and bad to sit through are kind of awkward and really uncomfortable to sit through and just didn't feel right while there are going to be some memorable scenes dennis hopper with chainsaws is probably going to be stuck in my memory forever but you're right i think too trashy kind of fits the bill it's difficult, isn't it? Because like it's either tiny bit or it's too trashy. Because it's but it's hard to call because there are elements where you think it's not pushing it. It's not pushing it enough. Yeah. Uh, but the, yeah, it, it, I, I think it'll have to go because of the extreme stuff that is in this movie. It has to go into too trashy. I think. Yeah. Let's put it into too trashy. Too trashy. Uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2, too trashy. Uh, which, you know what, perfect sense. I think I, it, it was a hard one to define because, like I said, I think this movie's this movie's kind of great in places, but this movie's also really bad in places. <laughs> That's kind of Toby Hooper all over, unfortunately, isn't it? Yeah. Kind of great a- sometimes, kind of bad other times. <laughs> Toby Hooper is one of those directors where he hasn't been really a consistent filmmaker hasn't he um and i'm not sure whether it's just he's he's just been given a bad hand whether he just got lucky with the texas chainsaw we don't know but it's something that maybe in future obviously obviously he has passed away which means we've only got the films he has so it's something that we could always examine and say whether or not he actually was a good director and really was good with it or was he uh, or maybe maybe it was too experimental and it was too ahead of its time because this if this movie came out now like mm. this movie came out now instead of what happened then. I bet this would be a smash because it would be very meta. It's very satirical. It's very over the top. It's very knowing of itself. It's comical. It's silly. It's all that. Mm. And I bet you would have done gangbusters. But at the time, and looking back at that version of it now, it just feels off. Yeah. I mean, I can I can see what he was trying to go for because it's like it's a couple of years after Nightmare on Elm Street, isn't it? And Freddy Krueger yeah. was huge at that point. So, mm. like, all right, let's make these guys like a a comedy kind of horror team. But it, it just 
Not quite working, mate. Not quite working. <laughs> it didn't quite work. And you know what? I'm glad. I'm, I'm, you know what? Out of all the sequels, this one is still the most memorable and the most cult because all oh, the yeah. other movies after that don't have the same treatment. I'm glad. I'm glad this movie exists. It is proof that you can go completely off the wall in a different direction. Whether it's a good idea or not is entirely up to you. So, <laughs> And I also think the more times I watch it, I'm probably going to like it more. Mm. I feel like it could be a grower. But yeah. I think the problem is, is that you have to sit through all the bits you don't like or re or find a way to reevaluate the bits you didn't like to make it more enjoyable, I guess. Make a supercut. <laughs> wow, supercut. It should also include all the extra deleted scenes with all the gore in it, because I want to see 25 or 30 teenagers getting slashed to pieces. Why do we not have that bit? Anyway. Well, we have that in the latest one, don't we? Oh, uh, there we go. That's all you need. Just watch the new one if you want teenagers and young people getting completely slaughtered. <laughs> So, yeah, so just before we sort of wrap things up, we're going to do something we usually call, we call it Do Our Plugins, where basically we just talk about what's been going on, what's up there, and what we've been happening on the channel and anything else going on on our socials. So, Ed, so what's, what's going on? Are there any new, any new plans coming up ahead? Any videos that have already been up? Uh, well, the latest YouTube video is our Batman, the 60s Batman uh like retro Saturday rewind. That's our not Saturday morning yeah. nostalgia show. So if you, you're interested in I like us, if you're interested in like old serials and old cartoons and TV shows, that is shows for mm. you. Uh, and yeah, the latest one is where we look at the '60s Batman and also eat Lucky Charms. It's just like if that appeals to you, check that one out. <laughs> Yeah, that's actually really, really good. I love that one. That was a lot of fun to do. Um, if we'll have some new ones in the future, which will be quite exciting. We're hoping to look and experiment with some new serials, so we'll see how that turns out. Uh, when it comes to the podcast, we've uh, we've been doing a lot. I've been doing a lot recently of the not so trash reviews because they are they're quite they're a little different and they're a lot they're easier to edit, but also just a little bit of fun. We've already got three up if you haven't seen the ones which were up previously. So we had um, so we. So we had uh, we had Adam Marsh um, on in here, and he actually ended up talking a little bit about Patrick. We also then had we had one right after that where we talked about the Love Witch, and there's a new episode just out. Literally, was out this week, uh, out this week at the time of recording, which we did Bavarian Sound Studio, and it's a lot of fun to do that one. It's all it's an alternative take, a little bit more academic, a little bit more serious, but it does really open your eyes a little bit about some of these lost movies. Yeah, it's a really good listen, that show, because it's like, it mixes things up a little bit because they are still like culty kind of movies, aren't they? It's not like, it's not completely mm. off topic, but it's just a very different approach. And if, you know, if you wanted to something a little bit different that focuses on cult films, uh, that's, it is a really nice listen. It's also just a means of excuse. It's just giving me more of an excuse to watch good movies because I sometimes worry with this podcast that all I'm going to end up watching is just bad movies. I just going to completely destroy my film taste. <laughs> yeah, it's, I don't think that'll ever happen. You can always appreciate bad can, movies. Well, well, I'll always love bad movies, but I just want to kind of also prove to people I also watch good shit once in a while. <laughs> Yeah, I've, all, uh, I've also yeah. been doing more on my TikTok as well because TikTok is kind of taken off for me and I'm doing a lot of videos on there. So like the latest one I looked at, I recently got a book on VHS cover art 
so I've basically doing some videos looking through that book and there's some really interesting stuff in there so you can follow me at Harvey Retro on TikTok if you like yeah that's all that's what we've been doing at the moment uh, hopefully we've got some more stuff going on we'll have we have, we have a few ideas for new for the next few episodes so keep so keep that keep that and look for when you want to see it coming up soon but in the meantime keep an eye on your trash there might be some treasure in there see you guys next time see you later guys Thank you for listening to this podcast episode and hope you enjoyed it if you did please share it around with movie lovers you know maybe add a star rating or write a good review all of this helps with the algorithm and provides us with more opportunities to reach the ears to a whole new bunch of bad film fanatics want to find out more about us then head over to our socials where we provide sneak peeks and up-to-date news on everything nostalgic and trashy. You can find our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter pages in the description. So please, follow us. See you next time, cinephiles.